Business, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV broadcasts from, Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and their elders, past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yama, and welcome to NITV Radio. Coming up in your program today... In the context of National Reconciliation Week, we continue our conversation with Peter Pekotich and Joseph Williams, co-producers of Countryman, a film that's been touring the country in the lead-up to and during Reconciliation Week 2023. The film Countryman fosters reconciliation and also adds to conversations around Indigenous voice to a parliament. In the program today, we also continue conversations around Indigenous voice through a story shared with us by NITV with Living Black executive producer Carla Grant in conversation with Warren Mandin, who is a key proponent of the No campaign. In the program today, we also explore developments after the AFL announced its independent investigation into racism allegations that the Hawthorne Football Club has concluded making no findings against former coach Alastair Clarkson and two other former staff. All these stories and more coming to you on NITV Radio after the latest news. And we are broadcasting from Nam on the Kulin Nation this Friday afternoon. Bertrand Tungandami Ngaya, I'm Bertrand Tungandami. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy erected outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. The first legal advice hotline for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people opens in WA. The latest wage review to be released today. And in Rugby League, New South Wales coach Brad Fittler plots one of the most unlikely upsets in origin history. Western Australia, a telephone hotline and call centre have been set up to provide Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people with legal advice. Opened in Perth after a six-month trial, the call centre has been created for mob by mob. The free telephone hotline connects callers to a First Nations legal officer in a confidential and culturally safe environment. Cultural safety and cultural competency, it's not that our information line is not culturally safe, it's just that sometimes Aboriginal people really want to talk to an Aboriginal person when they're dealing with particular issues. It makes us more comfortable, feel a bit less shame sometimes. Just understanding we have a bit more patience for our mob because we know how hard it is to actually get on the phone or try and get stuff done and we have a lot of barriers as well. The Legal Yarn Project is considered an Australian first and was driven by First Nations staff at Legal Aid WA. Mob are being urged to look after each other's mental health as RUK Day rolls around. In early springs, the campaign this year encourages mob to ask the question in their own language. Videos of locals asking are you okay in Arente, Larija, Pinyanjara and Walpiri are being shown on social media. Are you okay? Want some water? 
Ondo mora. Ondo mora. Mondo nyondo pala. Mondo nyondo pala. Nyondo pala. Nyondo pala. Nyondo ngocho. Nyondo ngocho. Nyondo ngocho. Nyondo pala. Nyondo pala. Nyondo pala. Ondo mara. Qualification kadko nitche ondo gar nitche ga relon bagitche. A prisoner to Australia Islanders have a suicide rate that is twice the rate of non-indigenous Australians. The Fair Commission will today reveal the result of its latest wage review. The results are expected to impact almost 2.7 million of Australia's lowest paid workers. Economists are warning a too generous rise could add to pressure on the Reserve Bank to push up interest rates next week. But Federal Education Minister Jason Clare says an increase to the minimum wage can only be a positive. Putting more money in the pockets of people on low incomes means they've got more money to spend at the shops, to spend in businesses. You know, I know that there are a lot of people on the other side of politics who say that we shouldn't be providing extra support to people on low incomes, that we don't want to see, or well, that they say they don't want to see people on low incomes get a pay rise. I've got to say, I do, uh, because it helps the economy. The reason we've got a challenge with inflation is not because people on the lowest incomes in Australia are being paid too much. In the meantime, Deputy Opposition Leader Susan Lee has also commented on a potential increase to the minimum wage. Ms Lee has criticised the federal government for its measures to tackle cost of living so far. Well, we'll wait and see what the Fair Work Commission comes down with. But what we know is that everything is going up except your wages. And we feel for those on low incomes because those on low incomes are hit particularly hard when grocery prices fuel prices, electricity prices go up. So the proper plan for inflation that we are calling for is absolutely the most important thing for those on low incomes and those on lower wages. Prime Minister Antony Albanese has arrived in Singapore ahead of a meeting with Acting Prime Minister Lawrence Wong. Mr Albanese will deliver a keynote address to United States Defence Secretary Lloyd Austin and senior Chinese defence officials. He says will declare a key message that countries across the Indo-Pacific need to collectively resolve to act responsibly and manage great power competition in the region. Kosovo's president, Vyosha Osmani, has accused her Serbian counterpart, Aleksandar Vucic, of being untruthful in meetings at the European Political Community Summit in Moldova. Tensions between Kosovo and Serbia have intensified after ethnic Albanian mayors were elected in sub-majority towns, which resulted in protests. Ethnic sub-demonstrators have clashed with NATO-led peacekeepers, resulting in injuries to 30 international soldiers and more than 50 protesters. Ms. Osmani says Mr. Vucic needs to stick to their agreement. What is crucial at this point is that Serbia stops supporting these criminal gangs that are causing most of the problems in Kosovo's north, but also beyond in our region. And that is a precondition, of course, for uh, making sure that there is de-escalation in the ground. And secondly, uh, to have a full implementation of the Ohrid Agreement, because Vucic has been constantly saying that he is not going to implement it. Russia's Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov has met in South Africa with counterparts from the BRICS economic bloc of developing nations. Discussions began by officials questioning the West's intentions in the war in Ukraine and calling the United Nations Security Council a failing institution. Mr. Lavrov says member states must seek joint answers to the challenges of our time. 
Against the background of the West's actions, our countries, together with all global majority states, should actively seek universal joint answers to the challenges of our time. This includes attempts to, to undermine the foundations of regional conflicts, international terrorism, including the criminal use of modern technologies. We welcome the holding of a separate media session in the format of BRICS France with the invitation of like-minded countries. South African Foreign Minister Lady Pando also confirmed an invitation had been extended to Russian President Vladimir Putin to attend a larger BRICS summit in South Africa in August, despite him being the subject of an arrest warrant by the International Criminal Court. French President Emmanuel Macron has announced the expansion of the European Union Cybersecurity Solidarity Act. It will now include any country which wishes to strengthen its cybersecurity capabilities. Mr. Macron says the decision to expand comes as several nations face cyber attacks. This cyber reserve that we have launched within the European Union is the ability to develop common centers of expertise to protect us against cyber attacks. We have recognized the extent of this by developing centers of excellence in several countries that have volunteered at the scale of these countries. It is the same thing that we have decided for the protection of critical infrastructures. Mr. Macron also discussed the rising tensions in Kosovo at the meeting of 50 European leaders in Moldova, saying Western leaders have made their demands to both sides. U.S. President Joe Biden has stripped and fallen after handing out diplomas at a graduation ceremony at the U.S. Air Force Academy. The eight-year-old president fell forward, caught himself with his hands, then got up on one knee, helped by three people. He walked back to his seat unassisted. Mr. Biden is the oldest person to serve as president in American history. And back home, 15 members of the parliamentary crossbench have joined forces to call on the federal government to end native forest logging across Australia. The Teal Independents and the Greens have penned an open letter to Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek as she prepares a major overhaul of the nation's environmental laws. Western Australia and Victoria have pledged to end native forest logging by next year, but the practice is still legal in Tasmania and New South Wales. Victorian Independent MP Monique Ryan says a nationwide ban would have huge benefits to the environment and the economy. If we ended native forest logging in this country, we would save $8.4 billion in carbon benefits by 2050. We'd also protect species like the Leadbeater possum, the greater glider, and most importantly, most critically, the Australian koala. We'd benefit our health and we'd benefit the country's bottom line. Victorian Nationals MP Darren Chester says a ban would lead to timber being imported from countries with fewer environmental protections. And in rugby league, Payne Haas says he's hell-bent on defying state-of-origin history as New South Wales aimed to do what no other blue side has done in 41 years and save a series in Brisbane. Suncorp Stadium, the Maroons' fortress, hosts Game 2 on June 21, a ground where the Blues have only won three times in the last decade. 
New South Wales coach Brad Fittler insists nothing is impossible, but he will have to spend the next fortnight plotting one of the most unlikely upsets in origin history after Wednesday's 26-18 defeat at Adelaide Oval. And now having a look at the weather around the country, Broome, sunny 16, Perth, mostly sunny 19, Adelaide, possible shower 21, Melbourne, partly cloudy 15, Hobart, the same, Albury, Wodonga, mostly cloudy 16, Canberra, cloudy 17, Wollongong, a shower to 20 degrees, Sydney, mostly cloudy 21, Newcastle, sunny 22, Brisbane, partly cloudy 25, Townsville, partly cloudy as well and 27 degrees, Keynes, much the same, 29, Alice Springs, sunny 28, Darwin, mostly sunny 31, and the Torres Strait Islands, a partly cloudy day ahead and a top of 29 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News. NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. I'm Patron Tungandami and you're listening to NITV Radio coming to you from Nam on the Cooling Nation this Friday afternoon. Coming up next, we explore the movie Countryman, a documentary that fosters reconciliation and contributes to the conversation around Indigenous Voice to Parliament. We also have a shared story by NITV with Warren Mundine, a key proponent of the No campaign, in conversation with Living Black executive producer Carla Grant. We also explore our findings of the independent investigation into racism allegations at the Hawthorne Football Club. But first, we continue a conversation started earlier this week with Peter Pekotich and Joseph Williams co-producers of Countryman, a film that's been touring the country in the lead-up to and during Reconciliation Week 2023, with screenings across the country hosted by community organisations, followed by Q&A sessions. Your community, your conversation. NITV Radio. Obviously, in the making of Countryman, uh, you've also learnt a few things along the way. Tell us about the main encounters and uh, discoveries you've made along the way. And um... A lot of interesting people. Then how you see um, people's living on the countries of these nations and clan groups that have been here for a very long time and still recognise the people that belong to that area, the country. Custodians, traditional owners... If you like, yeah. And now, what has been the reaction of the public to this movie? I believe the reception would be different from place to place, from big cities, even to local communities. We had we had one um, very emotional weekend this weekend because we had a screening, some screenings at Macquarie University with the Croatian Studies Foundation. They're celebrating and center. They're celebrating their forty year. Anniversary, and this is an example of a community that has uh, struggled for its own recognition of language mm-hmm. and also recognition of um, national identity. What was so beautiful in these screenings it was it brought communities together. We had um, members of Joseph's family that are in Sydney. We had th- this um, descendants of migrant communities, including the, the the elders that actually migrated and went through the hardship. And because there's a lot of emotion in the film, it just flowed 
out strongly and it flowed out for us as well. And one really joyful element was that this migrant community was opened up to Warramungal stories, culture and language and saw it as uh we it's we can be a part of that you know that that we that that's us you know as well we we can participate and and that that was a powerful experience i think yeah powerful right yeah for me to show show off our culture on the film from our people home the performing ceremonies and i'm sharing about country i'm sharing a little bit about uh our culture I'm showing, I'm showing, we're showing, Warramunga is showing that we still celebrate our culture back home with what we've got. We lost a lot, like a lot of Aboriginal people in this country. We've still got our law and culture. It's still there. And we still perform our ceremony. But what I like to see is more of our speakers, our Warramunga speakers I want to see back home. Because I noticed being here with my Croatian heritage and Croatian countrymen, I see they're very strong in their language. There's kids to adults. There's millions of speakers that speak Croatian. And my other heritage back home is only like 20, less than 30 speakers we got. <laughs> Big difference. Yeah, thanks for touching on that. The language aspect is something that also needs to be highlighted. So... How do you say countryman in your languages? Manawalki. That means countryman. Yeah. Yeah, so the movie has also got an element of celebrating language. This trip is really important. It's not just about the screening and sharing. That's, that's a huge story we, we are screening. But learning from others where I travel to, especially the... Uh, Croatian Studies Foundation. I've seen the fellow Croatians really proud of who they are and seen kids speak their language. I don't see that back home in Tennant Creek. And I'd love to see that back home in Tennant Creek, see kids speaking their language. Now, Joseph, you say there are 30 speakers of your language. Out of how many people, how big is your community? Oh, there's a lot of, we've got a mixed, we've got a diverse community of peoples. We've got other neighbouring tribes that live there. They're, they're very strong speakers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we hear them speak languages in our country every day. The Warramunga people here, our neighbouring tribes, speak every day, from kids to adults yeah. to old people. And, and I've message to my people home to strengthen ourselves with our language and wake up for our future. Do they teach your language in local schools? Yeah, apparently so. I think they do. I was doing a little bit of teaching non-Indigenous a couple of years ago, but that stopped. I enjoyed doing that, but I like to be part of teaching our own people. Obviously to teach anyone, but our kids. Yeah. I think it's important to teach language to kids who are actually the future elders. Now, the film has been traveling for quite a while and uh, is still uh, going across the country. Tell us about the next legs of your journey. Yeah, it's on 
Thursday night on the 1st, there's a screening with the ANU Film Group that's co-hosted by the Croatian Embassy. Mm. And that that's uh, to mark Reconciliation Week and that that's that's a significant screening for us. Uh, and there'll be a very interesting crowd coming together and, and I'm sure it'll be interesting conversation as well. Uh, just other screenings. We had a, a very significant screening earlier this year where the Australian Embassy in Zagreb played our movie as the official Australia Day event uh, to a, a crowd of about 300 of government and uh, official guests, which was, I, I attended, I tried to get Joseph to come, but he had business, <laughs> so he couldn't. But that was great to see uh, in Europe, uh, Europeans seeing Australia as we are and the diversity that we have and the living cultures, Warramungal and whatever we've become as descendants of, of migrants. So that was significant too. We're having a, another screening in Dubrovnik in, on the 12th, which will be hosted by the mayor of Dubrovnik. That's a city on the Adriatic coast, which is quite a known city from its beauty and has a long history of of um the diplomacy and trade and um and 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 we're also doing one up in Brisbane shortly as well. Yeah, shortly after Canberra. Yeah. Now my last question, it's a question about how the film is fostering reconciliation and contributing to the conversations currently underway across the country about uh Indigenous voice to Parliament. Tell us how the film fits in the big picture, in the bigger picture. Look, the, the movie's looking at who we are now uh, as Australians and, and what our identity is and, and all of the languages and cultures that we make up in our mosaic, whether it is from overseas or whether it's from the many countries around here. And it's looking at sharing and coming together and... We hope that that sense of new identity, because I hope out of this conversation we come up with a, a better and newer identity that we can all be included in and we can all feel we belong to. And and through the process of, of making this film, for me, I felt through my friendship with, with Joseph and through learning so much about uh, his culture, language and country that I've got a greater sense of belonging and and I hope it, that we do go into a, a sense of recognizing and, and consoling and, and understanding that we can come to a new identity, a new and greater and better and 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 dignified and uh, reconciled Australia. And finally, before I let you go, anything you'd like to add to the conversation? Maybe something we may have missed? Yeah, I hope the screening enlightens people, make them happy understand uh, truth-telling, um, give them strength in their identity, their roots from where they come from. I hope through this film that people learn that whatever their mixture of culture or heritage, that they can be proud of that and, and feel that they belong mm -hmm. and it makes them no less Australian mm -hmm. and it makes them no less connected, whatever their ancestry is. Peter and Joseph, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us on NITV Radio today. Thank you. Thank you, much. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. 
you're with NITV Radio. Coming up next, Warren Mandin, a key proponent of the No Campaign, in conversation with Living Black's Carla Grant. You're with NITV Radio. Nungai Warren Mundine is a leading member of the No campaign and a prominent First Nations face of conservative politics in Australia. The businessman and former politician has now joined forces with the Shadow Minister for Indigenous Australians to scuttle the Voice to Parliament referendum to be held later this year. Before Warren Mundine's Recognise a Better Way, amalgamated with Jacinta Price's Fair Australia No campaign, I sat down with Warren Mundine to discuss how the forces against the referendum are progressing. <laughs> Nungai Warren Mundine, welcome to Living Black. Oh, it's a great honour to be back again. Good to see you again. Well, we've seen your name in headlines and opinion pieces for the last few weeks uh, speaking about the referendum. There's still a long way to go in your campaign. How are you feeling about the no campaign? Besides being buggered, <laughs> is, uh, look, it's, uh, we're confident, very confident. The polling is really good. Uh, you know, we, we look at when you uh, ask the question about this is one thing I really like is that the uh, if you want to uh, should Aboriginals be rec- Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders be recognised in the Constitution, you get ninety percent just boom straight away. And then it, of course the voice when you ent- I put the voice in there it drops into the fifties. You know you get fifty one to fifty four or something like that. That's averages being going backwards and forwards. Uh, so we're comfortable with that. You know, it's uh, it gives us an opportunity that we're in striking distance uh, of changing people over. A lot of people haven't actually made their mind up, I don't think, yet. It's, and it's typical of any election. You know, People don't focus until a date's actually been announced and then they'll focus and start concentrating on the campaign. It's been six years now since the Uluru Convention and opinion polls are saying there's stronger support for a yes result. Is the no campaign not getting its message through, do you think? Well, it's difficult for us uh, because we don't have the zillions of dollars that the Yes campaign does. So how we operate is that we're not going to be spending all our money up front. It's about when people are starting to focus on the campaign and that's where uh, we'll be looking at that. And also we're a very grassroots campaign, uh, you know, myself and Jacinta and other people, we actually go out and have barbecues and we're having conversations and that. And I was recently in Western Australia and I, in Perth, uh, in that five days in Perth, that's what I did. So down with different communities, different groups of people and that. Oh, two weeks before that I was in Melbourne, same thing. Uh, Western Melbourne, you know, went to the mosque, went to a whole range of people, had some barbecues and that. So that's the sort of thing that we'll be doing leading up to it and then, of course, uh, then the campaign opens it. Well, in 2017 you told me that there would be no bipartisan support for The Voice. So I knew that was going to be a problem. So it was always going to be a problem. Were, to, you, ever, were you ever supportive of The Voice not, to not, Parliament? Not in, not in regard to getting a, a chamber or an advisory board. You know, we could do that tomorrow morning in Parliament. But it wasn't going to be a chamber. Uh, no, People are talking a about it. Right, I mean, chamber an advisory committee. But I knew that was never going to happen. And, and why, also, why was that? Why did you know? Because think there's two levels you've got to work on. One is the parliament. 
the parliamentary level is that you've got to get both sides of politics to accept, to agree to it. Um, and there was bipartisan support? There was, but there isn't now. But look, can I, I'll be quite honest with you, there was never bipartisan support. What makes you say that? Because I, I sit and drink with these people. A lot of people so say, people what? have said to you on both sides of politics, mm. this isn't going to get up? Correct. And that's what's exactly happened. There is no bipartisan support for it. What do you and your contacts in Canberra have against an advisory voice for our people? I have nothing against advisory committees and that, you know, every minister, every government's had advisory groups. Uh, the issue I have is in regard to having a voice in the constitution and the reason for that is I, I think that we should have Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders recognised. You know, the Yes campaign's calling it an advisory board or committee or whatever, then it... Uh, you know, it should be a legislative approach. The other point that I have is in regard to where the First Nations in that, because I, as people know, I've been writing about this for 25, 30 years in regard to recognition of Aboriginal First Nations, because they're the ones who speak for country and they're the ones who, who can only speak for their country and no one else can do that. Well, you agree with recognition in the Constitution, but you don't agree with an advisory voice enshrined in the Constitution. Oh, that, yeah, that's put it, putting it, yeah, that's how it is. I, I don't. In an opinion piece in The Australian, you were quoted as saying the voice will shatter the spirit and progress of 1967. Why do you say the voice referendum will divide Australia and undo the good work uh, the 1967 referendum achieved? When you look at the changes that were made in that Constitution, it was about equality and then within a few years of that you've seen the state and territory um, laws in regard to pro, uh, you know uh, protection boards welfare boards and all that uh, under their various names across Australia disappeared well why do you feel that this voice would divide the nation well it's putting race back into the constitution uh, we fought as a, a group of people to be treated as equal and that's what we wanted and then the Commonwealth Government was, was, uh, wasn't allowed to make laws in regard to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, so that we've, we got that chain so we're as equal as everyone else in Australia, and that was the important part of it. When we look at the voice, what we're doing is putting race back into the Constitution, uh, and I think that's the wrong way to step. If we're going to talk about constitutional change and constitutional recognition, then we have to recognise our First Nations, our, you know, our tribes, our clans and that, because I'm a very strong advocate for First Nations having that voice at that ground level and being in control of that. It is an, op an agency for uniting Australia by recognising its First Nations peoples. Uh, it is not creating any inequality. It is not taking anything away from any person. So it is not discriminatory. The Law Council of Australia gave evidence at the parliamentary inquiry into the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice and categorically denied that the voice would divide Australians on race. They said it would not be discriminatory. How do you respond to that statement? So, you know, these people are not, uh, not, not perfect. They're human beings. They're allowed to their, for their opinion and their, uh, and their opinion is more knowledgeable than mine. I, I don't challenge that. But I do listen to other lawyers who do challenge that. And so that's where I sit. 
In the last few weeks, the Solicitor General, Stephen Donoghue, said that the voice to Parliament would not pose a threat to representative and responsible government and would, in fact, enhance that system. How do you respond to this? Well, you know, he's, again, the Solicitor General, is as a very smart legal person. I'm not. He's, he's, you know, his toenail clippings probably knows more about the law than I do. But, again, I listen to other lawyers and they have different opinions of that. And, and he's not, uh, you know, sacrosanct either because he's been to the High Court and lost cases. And like the vast majority of Australians who are not lawyers, or constitution, especially not constitutional lawyers, then we have to take in all that, that commentary and then make our own decisions. Opponents to the Prime Minister's plan for a voice to Parliament have launched a no campaign. Headed by prominent Conservative Aboriginal leader Warren Mundine, the Recognise a Better Way group will advocate for a no vote at the upcoming referendum. Now, you are committee president of Recognise a Better Way, and at the committee launch in Tamworth, Pauline Hanson said, and I quote, lots of people are jumping on the bandwagon and claiming of benefits and claiming to be Aboriginal. Do you think the voice will mean a newly identified mob will suddenly come out and claim to be Aboriginal? Well, first of all, that was in our committee launch. Pauline Hanson uh, is not a member of... of our committee uh, and also if you're going to have a committee launch you would actually have the president there at that launch so so the first thing is that that was an our launch it was you know it was uh, you know Barnaby Joyce Pauline Hanson and some other people in that that was there and they and they have their freedom and their rights to make their own comments and that so so I just wanted to make that quite clear that that wasn't our launch. In fact, we have never had a launch. Our thing is getting out there, getting ads out there, getting on the ground and having those conversations because, uh, you know, we don't have the money to, to spend on launches or anything like that. We'll just spend our money where it's got to be spent. So what was that launch? That was just them getting up on stage and doing it. You'll have to ask them that question. I can, but I can say, as the president of the, the, you know, the no, no voice uh, committee, that that was not our launch. That was not our launch at all. Who does recognise a better way represent? Well, recognise a better way is we don't say we represent anyone. What we are as a group of people who are putting out our viewpoints in regard to the voice. So me as an Aboriginal person, my voice is just as good as any other Aboriginal person's voice. And that's what the voice campaign is about. We just have a viewpoint and in a liberal democracy that we live in in Australia, everyone has a a right to have their viewpoint. And I respect people in in the Yes campaign because I've worked with a number of them. Uh, you know, Tony McAvoy, I work with him on Native Title and I've, he's also working with me because we're doing the court cases on the stolen wages and the stolen generation and, and together. He's entitled to his viewpoint. He, he says what he says, but he's a, he's a strong yes supporter. I respect that. And I'm a, I'm a strong no supporter, but we work together to get outcomes for Aboriginal people. And that viewpoint that you talk about um, in terms of recognise a better way is the fact that they um, know campaigners. Uh, yeah, because we do believe in, in the recognition part. This is where I think uh, the government was wrong. They should have kept those two things separate about a voice and about recognition because 
the problem we have now is if it goes down, then we've lost both those. We're going to see ourselves looking like Africa does with the apartheid that's happened there. And I don't want to see that happen in this country. Is Pauline Hanson and One Nation affiliated with Recognise a Better Way? But no. They're not affiliated at all with the campaign? No, they're not affiliated with us at all. We've got a small group of people who are working together. Uh, there's about half a dozen of us, uh, and we're putting our point of view across. Now, we're prosecuting our case. Whether we change people's minds or, or, or get support for our side, and that will, time will tell. But, you know, that's all we're doing. We're not affiliated to any political party. Warren, can you tell me what the differences are between Recognise a Better Way and the Advance Australia campaign, as both of these are advocating for a no campaign yeah. or a no vote? Yeah, that's a good question. For us, it's, it's about focusing on the real issues that are affecting uh, Aboriginal people in the nation. Uh, it's about us uh, running that line uh, in regard to avoiding getting into race debates and all that type of stuff. It's about prosecuting a case. And and, and that's why we're involved in what we're doing. Uh, you know, Advance Australia, or Fair Australia, I think they call their campaign, is, you know, that's they do it differently to us. Uh, they have different arguments than us in a number of areas. So you won't be joining forces? Uh, you know, like recently, because Senator Jacinta Price is uh, on the uh, Fair Australia campaign, we shared a stage together that those type of things will happen, I'm sure will happen over the full campaign. We'll, we'll probably end up sharing a stage, but presenting our arguments. And that was uh, Warren Mandin in conversation with Living Black executive producer and host Carla Grant. We must now step aside, and when we come back, findings of the investigation into racism allegations at the Hawthorne Football Club. Stay tuned. NITV Radio, share our stories on Facebook. Hawthorne Football Club says it would be extremely disappointed if the AFL sanctions the club over its handling of a report into its treatment of First Nations players. The AFL announced its independent investigation into the allegations has now concluded, making no findings against former coach Alastair Clarkson and two other former staff. But the AFL didn't rule out bringing charges against the club itself after elements of the club's review were leaked to the media, as Tyson Cusi reports. The late-night press conference from the head of the AFL was a conclusion of sorts after a lengthy investigation into allegations of racism at Hawthorne Football Club. Chief Executive of the AFL, Gillan McLaughlin, said the independent panel had made this resolution. No adverse findings have been made in the independent investigation against any of the individuals against whom allegations have been made. The complainants wish to resolve all differences with the AFL. As a result of this agreement, the complainants do not wish to pursue the independent panel investigation, which they wholeheartedly supported. The investigation did not make any findings against former Hawthorne coach Alistair Clarkson, his then assistant Chris Fagan, and former welfare officer Jason Burt for breaching the league rules. Gillan McLaughlin says the AFL reached a non-financial agreement with the six complainants. This is an imperfect resolution, and I want to reiterate that the way this... The way this report emerged has led 
uh, it has led to being a period of high distress for all parties. In short, it was always going to be difficult to find an outcome. Again, I want to acknowledge the significant emotional toll has taken on everyone affected by this complex delicate situation. Hawthorne opened an external review last year after former Indigenous player Cyril Rioli alleged he and his wife were subjected to racism at the club. Details of the review were leaked to the ABC, including allegations other Indigenous players were told to live apart from their families and in one case pressured to terminate a pregnancy. Days later, the AFL launched its independent investigation. But after eight months, the coaches and complainants involved say they have not been formally interviewed, resulting in this conclusion. Earlier this month, Mark Lawyers, which represents one of the alleged victims known as Amy, said the AFL investigation had descended into farce and that she wants no part of it. The AFL hasn't ruled out bringing charges against Hawthorne for its handling of the club's initial investigation. Hawthorne President Andy Gowers says discussions with the AFL are ongoing. Of course, we'd be extremely disappointed if this matter led to uh, sanctions, including financial. Uh, But what I would say is we went into this process with the best of intention. I don't think anybody is questioning that. This complex process is far from over. The complainants could now launch their own civil litigation claims against the club or its former employees, or make a complaint with the Australian Human Rights Commission. Chris Fagan, now Brisbane's senior coach, said in a statement, I am innocent of any of the allegations made against me and always have been. Alistair Clarkson, who stepped away from his senior coaching role at North Melbourne earlier this month, citing health reasons, is yet to comment. Tysok Husey, SBS News. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV radio. And that's all for this Friday afternoon on NITV radio. Bertrand Tungandami, I'm Bertrand Tungandami, thanking you for staying with us today and wishing you an excellent and safe weekend. Till next time, bye for now. Yalu. People's movement, people's movement.